Welcome back to Night Shift Football. It's episode 129, where this week we're celebrating the return of actual football. Another shitty weekend of qualifiers has come and gone with very little attention paid. This week, Scotty Mack to the rescue for United. Arsenal and Chelsea both get some fortune and Liverpool take out another Merseyside derby. Once again, joined by Tommy. How you doing, man? Hello. Delighted to be here. It's a privilege and an honour. Brilliant. Cooper, how you doing, man? You're here as well. Good, Sammy. How are you? Brilliant. Excellent. Let's go. I feel like, um, you know, we sound really positive there, but I feel like the three of us are pretty drained this week. Uh, you know, the long night's kicking in. Even though we had an international break, we're still all, everything's kicking up. Work, soccer. How can we fit it all in? I reckon the international breaks what does me in. I'm on like I'm just like on a roll of having a shit sleeping pattern, and then I get a few good nights, and my body's not prepared to to go the night shift again. Yeah, it's it's rough. Um, where do we start this week? I think I might just jump straight into fantasy if you don't mind. Um, Tommy, well, I our team do mind when you talk about fantasy. To be honest with you, well, we improved this week after you made a few changes the oh. other day. I can't. I was at your house. You were doing the changes. I can't remember what you did, but. We did. We moved up a spot, I think, to thirty sixth, which is uh, a progress. Wow. We got fifty two, um, which was the average this week. That's pretty good. I was talking to Cooper about my captaincy. I, I went with uh, Huang, and yep. yeah, Cooper wasn't keen as soon as he heard it. I was like, "Dude, I've made cool. the decision already." It's. I don't. I'm not keen on it now, and it's already happened. <laughs> it's already been and gone. It was, a, it was a gamble for differentials, and it's uh, yeah backfired. Um, our man Chicken Ticker Mosala still leads James Davies. Uh, James, if you're listening, um, I'm not sure I actually know who you are. So if you want to get in touch with us, let us know because it looks like you could be getting a trophy on your way. You know, there's a long way to go, but I'll, I'm confident you've got this. Um, if I was to go out on a limb, I feel like I met this guy at a Adelaide United Cup game against Brisbane or at the Adelaide City one where we won on penalties. Okay. Um, I feel like he might be a mate of Todd's. Interesting memory. And, he, a- and, and we were told that he would win. And I feel like last season he joined halfway through and then climbed up and nearly won it. So It's a big a big night for James because he, he's got a little bit of a gap, but he's got no Spurs players. And there's a few people inside that top 10 with, with two or three. Mm, he does. He does have a little bit of a gap, though. Uh, this week's most points... Uh, where is it? It was a 90. Who got a 90? It was Carmen. Gangster Zaladice. What a Dang. name. I Great. Think that's Love my that. favourite name in the league. It's my favourite name in the league too. Uh, the second most, I think, was an 84 from Lockie McGregor. Uh, haven't yot a clue. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. But uh, we, we love Gangster Zaladice. Gangster Zaladice is wild. Okay. Um, let's jump straight into some Premier League action because the first game of the weekend was a, a Merseyside derby, Liverpool 2, Everton nil. Uh, geez, I've got some thoughts on Everton, but Cooper, why don't you start with some thoughts on the game in general? Yeah, um, pretty bleak. These derbies of late have a real habit of being pretty bleak games, so I think they probably suit the the early kickoff quite well. Um, just another three points for Liverpool. They needed to pick them up, and they did. Uh, worked hard to break the deadlock against ten men. Did it eventually, and it's the story. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Another another early kickoff coup. You pissed. Everyone's mad about it online. It's another one. They're, for they're mad about them in England, but I'm not mad about them when I'm watching yeah. this play at 9 p.m. instead of three o'clock in the morning. Why are they That's mad the about them in England? I think they hate the. Well, it's a 12:30 kickoff in England, and I don't yeah, think what's wrong with that? On the, I don't know. I'm not a fan of 
twelve thirty kickoffs at High Marsh, so I can probably understand where they come from. It's a good. That's a good point. When Actually, have we that kicked would be off a really twelve thirty. Well, just I'm not. I don't. Yeah, like, I don't rate do... afternoon games. You know, like the the vibe okay. at a at a at a one p.m. or a three p.m. kickoff at High Marsh is nothing in comparison to the vibe of a seven p.m. kickoff and. Personally, I'm thinking a 12.30 kickoff. You get in, watch the game, and you can get back to the pub for the well, group one racing afterwards. Especially a, a Merseyside derby. This is giving <laughs> me last season, late in the year, um, Adelaide United, I went over to Melbourne, and we played Melbourne Victory away, um, 2 p.m. kickoff on a Sunday afternoon, and it just was a horrible game of football. Mm. Yeah, I think um, particularly in England, I know that the like fixtures that they consider high-risk are often put at an early time slot, some of the derbies, but I don't know if that quite makes that argument doesn't hold up as much now. They do their super Sundays with, you know, the games because what the three AM game here is fucking awful. But what is that yeah, over there? Like that's a done. one one PM five PM five PM. Sorry, something like yeah. that. I think it's about yeah, five PM. What do we know? We're in down under territory over here. Um, Everton just tell our time awful and. I know there wasn't really much else they could do after the red card, but would they have like nineteen percent of possession in the end, like something criminal? Yeah, I um, mean, that... I mean, it's like to begin with they weren't doing anything. So like prior to the red yeah. card, nothing really changed. They they just lost any kind of last ounce of venture that they had in them. Yeah, yeah. that's what you get for playing fucking Ashley Young. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> we spoke about yeah. it the other week, but. He started you cannot well. start Ashley Young. Did he? I thought he started well. He made a couple of good challenges. Um, and, a couple of, then, and, a, yeah. and a couple of really yeah. he made one good 37 minutes. He made one good uh, challenge covering back where though early in that first half, there was a multiple chances where Liverpool were on like a 4v2 break. And I was like, how have they done this when Everton have barely touched the ball? And they're just, they're wandering forward and then just wandering out of position when their team had the ball, but they weren't really moving it around or doing anything with it and then getting caught on the break. And then once the red card happens, they don't, they're not even touching the ball and they're just all sitting back there doing nothing as well. It's just, yeah. it's just a calamity. Oh, it's garbage. Um, there's again, they're so fortunate. There's four worse teams than them. We need to start Absolutely. relegating teams based on the amount of points that they get in the season. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Um, <laughs> Cooper's cringing at that. Look at him. His face contorted. I'm he just was... picturing like a season where there's five really bad Premier League teams that don't make the, the point threshold and go down, but there's only like one or two really good championship <laughs> teams. And so the seasons just keep getting worse and worse as we go. Yeah, no, nah, I'm all for it. Let's go. That's how we create the Super League, Tom. <laughs> Thank you. Finally. Do I've it through. Support. Do it through a points threshold. Um, I've got some more thoughts on uh, more, more so Dice, but we'll get to that when we... When we look at the blockbuster that was Brentford and Burnley, um, the next game of the night, unless you've got anything else on this Merseyside derby, Cooper, I realise it was oh, short, but it's not the most Salah. riveting of derbies, is it? Yeah. Salah's awesome. Oh, he's wild still, isn't he? I just, I can't believe how good he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What is it this week that, that caught your eye with Salah? Because I know he's good every week and he has, but he has different types of like danger to his game. For me, this time it was the consistency and it's just been his output for the entire season. Uh, uh, he's imperious, like he's untouched. I think he's almost too good to fall into like the player of the year categories because it's an yeah. expectation now. And yeah. so we're always looking for like, we're talking about J Mads and stuff because he hasn't had a season like this and 
Harlan and Burst on the scene last season, but Salah every season, man. Well, didn't people he's, presume uh, he had a quiet one last year? And he didn't. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, he's he's got a, a scoring involvement in eight of nine games so far this season, and the game that he failed to register a scoring involvement, he would have had an assist for a Luis Diaz disallowed goal against uh, Spurs. So on yeah, a technicality, you could say he's had one in every game if you wanted to. Yeah. Oh well, no, I'll we can't because that. that is a technicality, and we can't say that because maybe we'd have maybe we should replay the game. I don't know, mm. Liverpool fans. Let's replay it. Um, Bournemouth v Wolves. I asked you guys. I don't think either of you had anything on this. I had one. I don't know if you guys saw any of this game, but my only comment is that Bournemouth. If you go watch the highlights, a team like Bournemouth cannot afford to be gifting goals like they did in the 88th minute when you're down to 10 men as well against another ordinary side. Neto's in goal. He plays it out to a guy surrounded by players who I can't remember who the player was in the midfield, but he turns and goes. And even then he probably should have done better as well. And they all blame the goalkeeper, but it was just poor all round from Bournemouth. 88th minute, you're one all at home to Wolves. You probably, you probably are looking to win that because Wolves are maybe around a similar mark to you. But down to 10 men, I think you just got to take your medicine and take the draw. So, yeah. At least jag a point in that situation, especially for the time that they've eked out anyway. Uh, that's just a horrendous error. And Bournemouth, you know, they made that big decision uh, in the off-season to sack. Um, Gary, what's his name? Gary Neal? Gary O'Neill? Something like that. Um, brought in, you know, Areola. That gave him a little budget to work with as well. They spent some money in the off-season. It's not working at the moment. It doesn't make it any easier when Lewis Cook's going around headbutting people either. No, it's just, did, I don't know if you saw that headbutt, Coop, but um, these are the ones I get, I get really annoyed when they happen and I get really annoyed that the guy gets sent off for it because they're not that... I understand it has to be a red card yes. and he does get him square in the face, but the way the player he, goes down screaming, they should be getting something. They should and be getting something. Shot, yeah. he, no. he hasn't nutted him by any means. Like they've they've had more contact with each other, more force when they ran and chested each other than what <laughs> yeah. their actual headbutt was, you know. Yeah. So just don't fall to floor screaming your lungs Sorry, out like Tom's, an absolute idiot. On Tom's comment as well. Um, yeah, Gary O'Neill, Tom, who Bournemouth sacked at the end of last season and is now our head coach of Wolves, who beat yeah. Bournemouth on the weekend. So I'm sure he was oh, very bang. happy with that. Knocked him off. Uh, he looked pretty he, chuffed with it on the sideline. He kept a bit of a lid on it, but um, you could respect. see it. <laughs> you could see the the fist pumps were in there. Um, yeah, that, that's a humility I wouldn't display. No, absolutely not. Uh, the next one of the night, Brentford 3, Burnley nil. Another one, I don't know if you guys had much on this, but I'm wondering if either of you saw this offside goal that was given early in the game. No? No, I haven't no. seen it. Who who was it? Visa and Buemo. So this is a classic... It was disallowed. Uh, I can't remember who put it in. Uh, Mope put it in in the end. Uh, it's a free Classic. kick. The free kick Glad comes into the free kick comes into the back post where Collins gets there, squares it up across goal. Mope knocks it in at the back post. Um, hmm. It's given offside, and at no point is Collins or Mope offside at all. Um, it turns out they've given it offside because Christopher Ayer, who is behind Collins and has his own man defender marking him. Uh, was offside and is judged to have been interfering with play despite um, it all being one-on-one defending and his man sticking with him the entire time and never really getting him, was never going to be involved in that. Um, I just think this is the sort of decision that would be absolutely massive and would be talked about heaps if it was in a Liverpool 
an Arsenal, a Chelsea, a Man City, you know, one of the our big six, so to speak. Um, mm. But because it was Brentford and because they won 3-0, it's not really talked about at all. So we're mm. saying that he's judged to have been interfering with play because his defender has to go with him? Is that, is that what we're saying? I'm unsure. Or... Well, I think it's Mike Dean called it strange afterwards on the telecast. Uh, telecast on the broadcast. I don't know. <laughs> telecast. That's um, an admission of guilt from Dean as well. If he's calling it strange, that means that's bad. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, I think most people were pretty confused by it. I just remember at the time the commentators just not really phased by it at all and just kind of going along with the flow, which struck me as odd. And then when I was watching the replay, I was just like, "Am I the only one seeing this? Am I? Have I gone full idiot here or what?" But sounds like sounds like the kind of offside that Tom would have been pretty keen on. To be fair. Um, but as if to just prove my point though it's like you guys obviously don't know about it right now and that just kind of proves that these things only matter when it's a big team playing you know Um, which is unfortunate yeah it helps Um, they won 3-0 it does it helps they won 3-0 and they scored some absolute bangers some good goals Um, Burnley horrible Um, but at least the games aren't that uninteresting because they do seem a bit more open than they did under Dyche. Um, you mm. see what Dyche is doing with Everton. Uh, we just talked about them before, but being open, like being open for Burnley, it means they're going to concede goals. Um, but it makes it better for us to watch. <laughs> for the sake of football, it's better that they play this way than having one game a week that's a complete waste of time. And when you look at um, pretty much playing this way, still getting the same results as they were getting under Dyche anyway, playing the low block. So they may as well be coming out and trying to play football, I think. Agreed, 100%. Um, And I think it suits them better if they were to go down. If you maintain a similar style, you know, company goes down with them, comes back up, and maybe they're a better resource club and they're more equipped to be able to deal with the Premier League second time around. So I'd much rather, yeah, stick with it. And yeah, Yeah. it makes it better. makes it better for us. I don't care they've conceded 23 goals, whatever. Exactly. I'm not a Burnley fan. If there's going to be goals in their games, at least I'll watch them. But like I said, last season, uh, last time they were in the Premier League, every you know one game a week was a write-off because you don't want to fucking watch it because they're taking 30 seconds for every throw-in and goal kick, and it's a disgrace. Uh, next game, Man City, two. Brighton, one. Looked like they were going to probably run away with this, but Brighton clawed their way back into it and made a bit of a game of it in the end, Cooper. Yeah, they had their chances, Brighton. Um, I think Karen Matoma had a few moments in this game that he would probably want back. Um, one where a ball was played over the top to him specifically, and and Stefan Ortega seemed to really overcommit, come too far, and there was a great chance for Matoma to just lift one over him, and rather than trying to lift one over him, he took it down and just tried to f- sort of finesse it around him a little bit and just put it straight into Ortega. And I would have thought that, you know, if there was anyone in that Brighton side that would have given that finish a go, it probably would have been Karen Matoma. Um, but yeah, I think Brighton, they stood up, they played, they played some half decent football, um, but City were just too good in the first half and and the game was almost over by the time Brighton got back into it. Yep. Clinical performance from City, wasn't it? Um, I love that Pep tried to finesse everyone out of getting strikers and now all of a sudden he's got Haaland and Alvarez scoring every week and it's like, see, tricky pitches. I, I know we've started talking a little bit more about Julian Alvarez in the last probably two months on this podcast, but 17 goals in 17 starts for Manchester City is wild, that's, that's given nice. how little we talk yeah. about him. Absolutely yeah, that's it. Wild. 
It should be thing. shouted. Like he yeah. should be the headline. I mean, I, he is to an extent, but obviously now the the focus still comes back on Harland and why isn't he scoring every week or, you know, he doesn't score one week and you're like, oh, what's going on with Harland? Yeah, totally unsung um, contributor of this club at the moment. This is also Erling Haaland's only his second goal from outside of the 18-yard box for Manchester City as well, given how many goals he's scored. At, they're just a clinical football team and he's just a clinical finisher, isn't he? Yeah. You, two, you, more yeah. Than, two more than Jay Mack at City. You mentioned to me the other week, Cooper, I can't remember if it was on here or off it. I think I feel like it might have just been a private conversation about um, Haaland not being able to create his own goals. Um, I feel like, and I kind of made the point, if you watched any of his Dortmund highlights where he kind of had to, um, or even at Salzburg, and then you look at uh, that goal he scored on the weekend, a similar kind of example of what he was doing at Dortmund every week and why he was getting them. I guess he just doesn't need to at City usually uh, because, like you said, their team is just so clinical and all over the place. He just has to make that run into the box and get on the end of them. Yeah, I, I saw a statistic. It was like he scores with 34% of his touches for Manchester City since joining the club. Yeah, that's wild. That's insane. Yeah, <laughs> to have such little involvement and to be as clinical as he is. Yeah. Um, Newcastle 4, Palace nil. Um, interesting one here. Palace just never really at the races or not really given a chance to. Newcastle pretty ruthless from the outset. Um, the first goal, um, I just wanted to point this out as a great example of what VAR is for. Um, the linesman waited and then he puts up the flag after the ball goes in the net. They check it um, and they just they stick with the goal because it's the right decision. That's the exact reason it was there and that's why I guess – um, as frustrating as frustrating as it is, uh, those ones that are so super tight, if they just wait and then put up the flag, um, it, it all makes sense. This is what it's there for. Yeah, I agree perfectly. Um, and Newcastle are cooking. I mean, we spoke about, I think more particularly I spoke about their lack of, of, of depth in this squad in recent times. And I'm still not necessarily sure that it is, you know, Premier League top four or Champions League depth. It's, it might not be quite there yet. But guys like Anthony Gordon and, and Jacob Murphy, a goal and two assists in this in this game with his only his second start of the season for Newcastle. It's it's handy if they can have players pop up and do those things because obviously, you know, Champions League commitments Wednesday. They need guys like this to be standing up. And when yeah. Harvey Barnes is is back and fit to go, there's even more depth there. So they're they are growing as a as a club and as a football squad. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're gonna bring in those those sort of players coming in and having an impact um, if you know they won four nil Palace. I know we don't rate Palace all that highly, but they're still competitive Premier League opposition that you know they would have struggled against in the past. But for these guys to step up in a game like that and make sure they get it done um, brings a bit of relief, I think. Yeah, I think for and this is this is what the best. I don't want to say the bigger clubs, but the, the best clubs, the more consistently good clubs. This is what they do. They have they have a team where they can go. Okay, Newcastle on the weekend. How unreal is it for Newcastle to have won a Premier League game 4-0 with Champions League Wednesday in mind and, and Tanali, Almiron and Isak all only had to play 20 minutes? Yeah. That's exactly what they need. It's not like the uh, the disrespect of uh, Juve this morning against Milan, <laughs> resting Vlahovic and um, <laughs> Vlahovic and Chiesa, and we thought maybe they're resting them for Champions League. They're not in the Champions League. They're just disrespecting. That's all right. Um, who else got an assist in this game, Cooper? 
Yeah, my boy. Uh, uh, Tom Tom had a good laugh at my message at whatever time of the morning it was when I said I've literally revived Kieran Trippier's career. Um, I'm, not need sure reviving, I'm not sure mate. it needed reviving. But didn't need reviving. <laughs> I, a few poor a few poor weeks, and I gave him a little bit of a, a little bit of a spell, and now he's made me look like a right fucking asshole. So yeah, thanks, cop that. Yeah. I mean, anything who's, on? Uh... I, I wanted to ask Coop, who's next? Who who do you want to? Who's getting the next revival? I've got to think my way through this like really quickly. I was thinking, you know, I, I don't want to go out and bake any Man United players and make them good all of a sudden. So yeah, be careful just with be it. Very yeah, very careful. Yeah. With Did you talk some shit about McTominay recently? I can't remember, but I said that Erling Haaland was couldn't create his own goals, and like Sammy said, he has, and, and Trippier couldn't <laughs> find assists, and he's got them all over like the sun. Yeah, like he never did until you said that. I might just start. You also said last year that Haaland doesn't make City any better, and it's, you know, I just... might start. I might start ragging on Darwin Nunes and hope he wins a golden boot. Mm. Can you rag on Enkedi and see if he turns into Pete Pele or what? Is <laughs> oh, that too much of a stretch? Yeah, I don't even think I'm capable of that. Fair enough. Um, God can only work so many miracles. Tom, do you have anything on Newcastle and Palace or uh, we're done? It was just going to echo what you guys were saying. Like everyone on the score sheet is who you would want to be scoring in like an off game, like lower league, lower half of the table opposition. You got Callum Wilson scoring. Um, Like you said, Jacob Murphy, like those are the guys you want involved in getting the business done when you are rotating the squad. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. You know, if they don't concede both those goals just before half time, maybe it's a different game and Palace can work back into it. But that would just kill us. Yeah, Newcastle rolled them. Yeah, fair. Uh, Forest hosted Luton, uh, two all draw. Just quickly, Cooper, you had a bit of an eye on this. A real late comeback. Luton snagging a much needed point. Yeah, two huge goals in the last ten minutes of this game for Luton. Um, two massive points dropped at home for for Forest. Um, they look like they're they're a better team than than a lot of the ones down the bottom. But if they do go through a slump of form and they start flirting with a little bit of relegation danger at some point in the season, they're going to look back and regret results like this. Um, just on people giving players a little bit of a bake on the podcast and them turning into footballers all of a sudden. Tommy spoke about how poor of a signing Chris Wood seemed the other week, and Toa Ani was unavailable for selection. Chris Wood had three in the back of the net and two goals on the weekend. Beautiful. It's not, I don't have this ability. (laughs) I couldn't believe it when I saw it too because toyed with bringing him in FPL because I was like, who is going to get cheap points that no one else has? And maybe Chris Wood is going to be the man. I was feeling nostalgic. He was so good for Leeds in the championship. Yeah. Yeah. Do we not, um, just as well, Anthony Alanga to assist in this game. He's had five score involvements in the last (laughs) three weeks for Nottingham Forest. Could Man United not do with a player like this right now? Uh, Potentially, yeah. I don't You'd have to ask them. Only they know what's truly going on at that place. I think uh, I think it beats the guy that beats people up, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, on Luton, we discussed the other week about them break, potentially breaking the points record. They're on five points after nine games. So I put that <laughs> I put a projected total at 20 points after 36. So that's is that enough to stay up? It um I think yes, at the moment anyway, it's a given the shit looking given the, year like we said before. Given the state of Burnley, Bournemouth and Sheffield. The state I mean, of Sheffield in particular. Oh man. We spoke about I said someone might concede a hundred goals this year and someone might break the points record. It wasn't Sheffield, but they could do yeah. both. We weren't gonna talk about Sheffield United because we did uh, I guess we did the big McTominay thing last week. Uh Tommy, I don't know if you quickly want to do it now, but um we talked McTominay last week. 
Um, he gets on the score sheet again. Sheffield, I don't know with them if it's just a case of they're playing okay and getting unlucky and not getting results, but I'm looking here and they've conceded the 17. And there's, well, sorry, goal difference of minus 17, uh, conceded. 24 and nine games. So I, th- I think they might just be garbage. Tom, you had a quick note on this though. One point. Sheffield, I said it from the outset. I'm not watching a single one of their games this season because they are they are that bad. And they're probably going to be the ones that go down with the points record. Yeah. Um, just, you know, on this, it's a funny one. Um, Man United, you know, Diego, uh, Diego Dolo uh, scores a wicked goal. Like it's a yep. really good goal. Um. It's not the kind of winner you would expect Man United to have to pull out against Sheffield United. Uh, McTominay, funny old game, scores a pretty decent goal, although the defending could be questioned, and then gives away a pretty blatant handball um, not too long after, which was rightly dis- uh, dispatched by McBurney. The The thing that I enjoyed about this game, though, was um, Harry Maguire was given the man of the match afterwards. Um, and I, he's just, he just proved to all of his doubters he is truly elite at the championship level and Man United should persist with him. Hmm. I don't know. I'm not feeling Harry Maguire hate this week. I, um, you know, he's better than Lindelof, isn't he? Like, this is, these are low bars. They're low bars, but he is still surely one of their best two. Maybe three centre backs, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he would be. There's um, there's a there's a stat actually that's starting to back him up that Man United are a better side with him in it. So I believe it too. The guy, he, yeah, the guy can play. He just became a meme. Um, didn't have a good time of it, but you know, I still well, think he'd be a solid player for anyone sitting mid table, regardless of Harry Maguire or like Sergio, Sergio Ramos. Why is he would have been great at West Ham. Why is a centre back winning man of the match for Man United against a team that's got one point in the Premier League? Yeah, yeah that was great point. That was the point. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, that's not Harry's fault, though, is it? Um, Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2, a game of, you could say, fortune and misfortune for both sides. Who's who's taking this one away? I thought we should let you take this one away because what do you want you me to say? Pretty- you had some pretty impassioned feelings this morning. I, I just wanted to, you get the goal, but I just want to make a comment on sure. Michaela Mudrick standing on the side of the pitch of Stanford Bridge, like Christ the fucking Redeemer after accidentally putting a cross into the back yeah. of the net. Have some hey. fucking respect for yourself, yeah. mate. Well, Say the word, Cooper. Say the word. What was it? Oh, no. The mud goal. Was he, was he done? What it's, word? A cross, it's a cross-come oh. shot. A cross-come shot. Yes, it is. Um. Jeez, a mixed bag in this one. Um, I perhaps biasly feel like Chelsea got away with one here, just be, even though we're the side that came from 2-0 down, purely because of the the luck of the handball and then the luck of a, a shit cross that goes in the net. Um, the audacity as well. Chelsea posting, oh, my word, when Mudrick's goal went in. Look at yourselves. Look <laughs> at the state of yourselves right now. Um but yeah, uh, interesting game this one. Arsenal clawing their way back thanks to a bit of luck, a shitty clearance going to Rice, who dispatched it pretty well from range. Um, and then a Trossard equaliser. Who I can't recall who the fullback is. Uh, someone help me out. The guy marking Trossard at the back post for that goal. It's just a disgraceful effort of defending. Um, What's it? Gust- is it Gusto? I'm not sure. He lets him go and then... Yeah. And then stands there as Trossard's about to get to the ball and 
puts his hands up like in shock, like, oh my God, I can't believe either he can't believe he got to that or I can't believe that ball didn't go out or I can't believe the keeper didn't come and get it. Like, man, why didn't you just get there? You fucking idiot. Um, But yeah, I guess both sides, a point probably fair. Do you think that's what Poch was saying uh, post-game to him? Just, come on, man. The just fuck get are the you ball. doing? What the fuck are you doing? Just get the ball. A point fair for both teams, Cooper? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd think so. Um, just given the, the state of the game and, and where it was at. Um, but I'm with you. I think Arsenal, Arsenal was so poor for a majority yeah. of this game and, and you know, ended up coming away with a point. Um, but I think they'd be disappointed, Arsenal, because for 60, 65 minutes of this game, they just showed nothing of what we know that they can show. It feels like the overall performance feels like two points dropped especially given the state of Chelsea right now. We know they've got the big names in their team, but the way they've been playing, the way they've been going about it, this does feel like two points dropped. Yeah, I just you know um, Yeah, no, you go, Coop, you go, Coop. I just wanted to make comment on how good that Declan Rice finish actually is. That is, it's most people are going to look at that and go, that's that's an open goal. But he has put that exactly where he needed to put that for... um for Robert Sanchez to not be able to get back and, and make a save and recover his error. And he's hit it, you know, with, with a bit curve to a power first time. It's yeah. a phenomenal finish, man. It is a great finish. Great precision. Uh, Pascal Gross did one a couple of weeks ago where there was no need for him to control the ball and hit it as sweetly as he did, but he does it anyway. And like, they're so, they're so nice to watch because I think the player knows that he's about to score. And so that gives mm. him the freedom to like hit it properly. And like, that's how you should be hitting a football. It, I agree with you. It looked great. Um, I wanted to flip what you guys said real quick. I actually thought Chelsea were not too bad. I reckon for 60 minutes of this game, Chelsea were, they were definitely in it and deserving. I, I think that's what of, we said. Yeah. Deserving of three points is what I was saying. I, I think it for large portions of this game, their midfield three of Casado, uh, Enzo, and Gallagher looked better than Arsenal's midfield three. And I just I wonder with this strikerless tactic that Poch is employing now with Cole Palmer up top, maybe this is the way forward. I think he's starting to click click a few gears into place here, and Chelsea um, Chelsea might be start might, might might be starting to cook. I think. The only query I have of that is that this is the best I've seen Chelsea play with this squad and under Poch, and they were 2-0 up and playing good stuff for 60 minutes, but they were very lucky to score a goal in this game. A seriously lucky penalty, yeah, like to, we'll go lure yeah. the game, whatever, it's a penalty, but yeah. a seriously lucky penalty. Yeah, and and like you said, a cross-come shot, Tom, it's it's two very lucky goals, and for all their dominance, perhaps maybe they, they did need a striker, whether it be Nicholas Jackson or not, to put some chances away. Mm. But he what he hasn't been doing it. I think they're waiting for Nkunku, and that that's going to be the big test when he comes back. Whether or not he is going to be the centre forward that puts away those kind of goals, so we'll see. Mm. Um, I just as, now I think they're doing enough against decent opposition at the moment. Yeah, I just wanted to ask um, Sam. Um, you would have watched this game. Kai Havertz, fifteen minutes in attacking midfield at the end of this game. I thought he was great. Yeah, he's coming along. Um, he's obviously people are still going to laugh about him. He's just there's still a bit of uh, leftover Arsenal being a meme club from the last decade hanging over, and Havertz has become attached to that because of the price tag and how how poor he was for Chelsea. But he's he's coming along the way he involves himself when he gets on the boys. You can see he's got a quality touch and quality vision. Um, yeah, persist. It'll come. I think 
Uh, kid's still young. It's there. Perfect. Does he have to play the Odegaard position or? Nah, he, not really. It's kind I of just... different, kind of more forward, whereas Odegaard comes right back, you know, box to boxes. I'm just excited to actually see him come on and play in the 10. And, and that could be his role in this Arsenal squad. Be that, you know, we spoke about Newcastle's depth. If if Erdegaard or um, Arsenal need a little bit of a rotation in the midfield or whether he comes off the bench, I think I'd much rather see Arsenal persist with him as an attacking midfielder than trying to play him up front like Chelsea had been and like Arsenal sort of did. Yeah. Yeah. The trap is like, how do you fit Havertz and Erdegaard in the team? With, That's what I was going to ask you, yeah. Like, to do that, you need to sacrifice one of um, either Declan Rice or Jorginho. And for as much as I know you don't like Jorginho, Tom, his, he does his job to perfection most most weeks, which is sitting in that hole and not moving. And yeah, it's, it's so, so, it's it's so, so important <laughs> to structure. So funny. I've got a note here. Jorginho is so pain, uh, painfully average. I'm finally on board this train. Poor selection choice from Arteta. I I don't wow. think he's it, man. Okay, you have yeah. that, but I think history will tell you you've you've been wrong about this. I also think Jorginho in this. I think we're seeing so much of Jorginho in this Arsenal team this season because he gives Declan Rice the freedom to get forward like he likes to do. Yeah, and without Jorginho sitting in that yeah. hole, Rice that, is yeah. stuck sitting back there, and we're not seeing the Declan Rice that we are seeing without Jorginho in this team. Um, whether there's a better player out there, Arsenal that can can bring in that can well, do it's, or not. It's, yes, it, it he's there. He's, there. Be, he's but, not playing. It's Thomas Party. Well, mm. yeah, there you go. That's exactly right. But I think he's doing more than a serviceable job in that position. Um, to answer your, your how do you fit Havertz and Erdegaard in the same team? I think my point is you don't. I think you play yeah. Havertz in that ten yeah. when Erdegaard when Erdegaard isn't on the pitch when he's yeah. you know seventy minutes into the game hasn't worked need a goal take him off give him a rest Champions League it's rotation if Erdegaard starts on a Wednesday Havertz starts on a Saturday. I still would be more than happy to see the Havertz experiment as a striker go on in, mm. in rather than an Enkedia, but he won't do that. Obviously, if, obviously if Jesus is fit, it's, you wouldn't do it never, um, but. I'd rather have him than Enkedia as a striker there, I think. And he plays almost more false nine. And it just lets, especially when you've got the likes of Saka, Martinelli, Trossard, who, you know, we score so many goals from our wingers that mm. um, and Erdegaard. So I feel like you could you could easily do it. It's not like Enkedia does a whole lot in the build-up. So um, you could surely make that happen. It's It sounds like why you guys are sniffing around uh, Ollie Watkins at the moment. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Um, yeah. We'll move it on. Aston Villa four, West Ham one. Uh, who's got something on this? Cooper, I think you had a bit of a look. Yeah, I think Tommy had a had a bit of a look this morning too after I, I messaged him talking about Villa. They're just ticking, man. Um, and I think this is the... This is the West Ham performance that I noted a few weeks ago that I was a little bit worried about. I said yeah. they're gonna yeah. they're gonna sit behind the ball and they're gonna score goals on the counter, but when they come up against a team that is clinical, they're gonna lose games and they're gonna lose them badly. And this is a prime example of that. Aston Villa created chance after chance after chance, and they took chances as well in this game. And it's it's an ugly looking result for West Ham. Oh yeah, uh, and it's exact. It's it is so true what you said, and I argued the opposite point that they could finish top seven by being resolute enough to shut out a game like this and jag a one-one draw away from home. They were just clearly not up to it. They were overwhelmed in the second half. I think um, so many opportunities. It was similar to the Liverpool Everton game where the the overload from the Villa attackers onto the West Ham defenders from seemingly innocuous situations 
it it wasn't you know a true West Ham performance this one, but if this is indicative of how they're going to play against you know Villa, Brighton, uh, Newcastle, those kind of guys are going to compete with to get into the top seven. They're not up to grade, unfortunately. It's going to be these clinical teams. Like for for Villa, you on paper you look at this team, and we spoke about um, Nicola Zaniolo the other week. That seems like he was going to come on and be way too good to be playing for a side like Aston Villa. Um, that's where he is at the moment, and he's playing some, starting to play some good football, and his link up with Ollie Watkins up front, who's just you know gone and scored for England against Australia, and and is in the best form of his career, and Musa Diaby, who's a phenomenal signing for Villa. But the the teams that West Ham are going to struggle against, uh, like Aston Villa here, are these teams that are growing and their midfielders are becoming clinical too. Douglas Louise has got six goals in nine appearances in the Premier League this season. Okay. This season as a centre midfielder, and it's these teams that have have got midfielders that have added goals to their game, either that or they've gone and bought midfielders that have goals in their game. And I think we're seeing it more and more in the Premier League now that there's teams that have you know, five or six players that could score week in, week out. And they're the teams that, that West Ham just in this in this setup are, are not good enough to beat. No, and they're not getting it out of Ward Prowse consistently. Um, it's almost a reflection now. If they could have sold Paqueta and brought in two, you know, dynamic goal-scoring midfielders, this could be the West Ham that we're talking about in, in similar comparison to Aston Villa. But when you're still persisting with Suchek, who is... He scores his goals, but he's definitely, you know, ahead of Merchant of sorts. He's he's a big, burly kind of guy. He's a physical kind of attacker. And you couple that with Antonio, you, like you're really limiting the ways that you can score goals. So I'd, I'm on board with you now, Coop. Yeah, they're going to struggle is, a little bit. I don't know what you guys make of West Ham in a sense of there is good players in this squad, but it seems a really weird squad configuration. Like to me, Joe. Jared, Jared Bowen, Lucas Pakatar and, and James Ward-Prowse, they go... They go together so well, man. Like the three of them work together so well. But then you add in, you know, Thomas Socek and Mikel Antonio as the other two guys that that get forward with them in really that pack of five that goes forward for West Ham on the break. And they're two completely opposite players. I don't see a world where Socek and Antonio work with with Ward Prowse, Pakatar and Bowen. It just if they're gonna play this this football where they they park behind it and they come out on the break. I don't think the physical presence of Mikel Antonio is valuable to them whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. And you look to the bench and it's the same thing. You've got Danny Ings there and like, you know, Pablo Fornals, they're like guys who you think theoretically should be able to strike a kind of partnership, but the way that they play, it just, it doesn't bode for that kind of um, link up, unfortunately. So yeah, this is a case of just the, you know, the right players just in the wrong combination. Um it's a shame because they could have, you know, they really could have built on that European success, but I think they're probably just going to middle out now. Aston Villa just quietly having themselves a season. Um, currently uh, 19 points, two points off top at the moment. Um, mm, we love yeah, Villa here. They're right in the mix there with your, you know, Arsenal, Liverpool. What have we got? City and Arsenal, 21. Liverpool, Tottenham, 20. Villa, 19. Of course, Tottenham still to play this weekend. We're recording on the Monday night. Tottenham playing Fulham at home Tuesday morning should be pretty standard business for Tottenham. You'd think and Ant Postacoglu could be sole top of the Premier League after after nine. Yeah, should, should be should pretty comfortably go back to the top tonight. Unreal, isn't it? To think an Australian manager could be top of the Premier League um after a third of the season. A, four, a quarter of the season. A quarter of the season. Uh, yeah, <laughs> at maths. any point in the 
at any point of the season, I think it's nuts that you've yeah. got an Australian guy guiding them there. How long can they keep it up for? Who knows? Yeah, it's cool. Um, that's all we've got Premier League-wise. I don't know if you guys have anything else football-related at all anywhere. No. I had, I had one... Getting blank looks, but yeah. I had, one, I had one interesting story. Here we go. Um, you know how we talked about... Uh, I talked about chairmans the other week. I can't remember the club it was involved in, but it was a lower league chairman going off on social media and basically, you know, talking himself out of a job. Uh, I came across another one this week. This is a man named Andy Holt. He's the current chairman of Accrington uh, Stanley. And the head, the headline of this article is Chairman Andy Holt has put Accrington Stanley up for sale during the during an extraordinary series of online posts. Immediately, I'm I'm in. I'm on for this. Uh, Andy Holt is uh, he's a local businessman. Uh, he made his money in plastics. Bell uh, Holt responded on X to the two coaches, wondering whether or not they could get contract extensions. He responded on X, uh, "I'm not replacing them. I'm replacing me." Replying to questions from Accrington fans, the chairman added, I'm not the right person to take this forward. Aki needs to change and become a new club with new methods. I have nothing more to offer the club. I am spent. And with that, he's put the club up for sale. Have you seen the the original social media outburst claim when he said, um, I did see this, when he quoted, um, I'm done. I want my weekends back. And then went on to claim that piss poor decisions were the cause of their relegation last season. (laughs) So he's just putting himself in it. It's him. I love the, uh, the decision, mate. I love the admissions, the admission of guilt. Uh, good on him. Whatever. You, you're just going to come to us with a strange chairman story from lower division England every week. I hope so. Yeah, this could be... become a a reoccurring segment. This would be great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the way that they're going, they should not be on social media. These guys. He promised me a reoccurring quiz, and we haven't had one for a fortnight now. So don't hold your breath. Wait, I've got one. I've got one for the red edition, which oh, everyone should listen to that we are about to record straight after this one. So yeah, it'll be in your feeds. All right. Um, anything else? Anything else? I'm looking through my notes. I don't think so. Not this week. Uh, the only oh, one more thing was just uh, I like Mitch. I like hat tricks. Former striker. I just love when someone gets a hat trick. This week, uh, just the one that I could find from the big leagues, unless I've missed one. But Antoine Griezmann, Atletico. Chucking in a hattie. So there you go. Bang, bang, bang. A, a threefer. So there you go. Doing Good stuff. Night celebrations all the way at to the, the match ball. Antoine Griezmann at the treble. At the treble, indeed. Ooh. All right. That's a stupid fucking phrase, and you're never allowed on this pod again. All right, folks, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Uh, get around the red edition as well. Adelaide United back in the winner's circle after just one game. How good? We're top of the league. Let's fucking go. See you, boys. Ciao. See you later.